You are listening to the Enormo Cast. La Sportiva presents Storytime. There once was a little boy named Tommy Caldwell. One day, little Tommy decided he wanted to climb a really big wall, but he couldn't find any shoes to climb the big wall in. So he decided to build his own out of scotch tape, fluffernutter, and a used pair of hand jammies left behind by a couple of euros in Camp 4. When those didn't work, Tommy called the adults at Sportiva and asked them for help. Sportiva came up with the TC Pro, named after little Tommy himself. A shoe so good at big wall climbing that little TC grew up to climb the hardest, biggest big walls in the world in his TC Pros. Then he talked his best friend, teeny tiny Alex H, into trying them, and Alex, well, he became a pretty good climber too. So if you want to be like TC or Tiny A, go to Sportiva.com or your favorite mountain shop and check out a pair of TC Pros. Maybe someday you'll grow up too. The end. Welcome to our newest sponsor, Boulder Denim. Now I like high-tech climbing duds as much as the next guy. Star Trek-like materials, the accents on all the right bulges and curves, and boy, who doesn't feel pretty neat in a pair of bright yellow trousers? But the truth is, is that once you leave the crag and are amongst the lowland peoples again, you can feel a bit out of place in your sleek mountain togs. That's where Boulder Denim comes in. These guys want you to be able to go from the cragger gym to the cafe to the slightly upscale but not, you know, annoyingly posh bar without a hitch. Their climbing jeans sport a modern look and design with stretch performance, water and stain resistance, and other refinements just for climbers. Both men's and women's jeans, slim fit for the truly hip, and athletic fit for the less grandiloquent among us. To check them out, go to boulderdenim.com and entry normal at checkout for a discount. And no, these are not affiliated in any way with Boulder, Colorado. In fact, just like the Snowblower and Wonderbra, they're Canadian, eh? Once again, that's boulderdenim.com and entry normo at checkout. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, you playing here? We're doing the uh, Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold What's it that out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Normacast. This is your host, Chris Calusa. It is September 10th, about 9 o'clock here in Colorado. And this is episode 136 of the Normacast, a conversation with Shelma Jun of FlashFoxy.com, the Never Not Collective, and just an independent climber person as well. Today, I just want to preview this one by talking about what Shelma has going on at the Never Not Collective. It's her and three other women, Julie Ellison, Leslie Hitmeyer and Colette McInerney. And they are a production and media team dedicated to uh, promoting women's media. And they're going to start with a Kickstarter that they started, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. It got funded in about 35 minutes, actually, uh, to do a full length feature film on the women of climbing called Pretty Strong. And even though it got funded, I'd recommend you go check that out the Pretty Strong Kickstarter. You know, any extra money they get will either go to making that even better or to their next production. And it's interesting because here in Carbondale, by the time you, most of you listen to this, it'll probably already have happened, but next week is the No Man's Land Film Festival. And one of the things that Asia Weinhold over at No Man's Land has talked about is just not that nobody's showing films about women and made by women, but there just aren't that many to choose from. So hopefully getting interested and checking out what the Never Not Collective has going on and helping them fund some of their projects will improve that. So remember too, at the Kickstarter, 
you know, each size donation gets something back. There's t-shirts, hoodies, all sorts of stuff. So it's not just throwing money into the wind. And of course, we're going to get a great climbing film out of it as well. So check that out. Never Not Collective, the pretty strong Kickstarter. So on to the interview with Shelma. I mean, I didn't really know too much about her other than some folks had recommended that I talk to her. And she was happy to sit down. We recorded this one next to the river in Lander, the Popo Aggie. And there's a little bit of river noise and tweeting birds in the background. Plus, you know, as usual, some engines running. But uh, we got a good recording out of it. Actually, it's kind of nice. And of course, with Shelma, we talked about feminist issues. She is the creator and ongoing director of women's climbing festivals, as well as flashfoxy.com, which is an online space for women, uh, blog, forum. It's also the place where you can find out about the Women's Climbing Festival and other events that they're doing. So check that out. And yeah, she's kind of uh, this little bit of a cultural warrior, maybe kind of just fell into her lap, but uh, she's really well-spoken and I can be kind of thick-headed about this stuff. I'll tell you, you know, I'm, I'm not young. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but you know, I just always have a feeling that climbers, well, we just all get along and yeah, there's women and there's men and we're different. And sometimes we get on each other's nerves and, but generally, you know, I'd never really thought of myself as having, uh, problems with any of these issues until I talked to Shelma and actually, you know, she lays it out in a way that it makes me realize that even small things, if they build up, uh, can really affect a person's outlook and how they view the sport and how they view themselves within the sport. And, uh, you know, we could be better, even though I think climbing is maybe a little bit above the fray when it comes to some of these culture and race issues, but uh, we can certainly be better. And the truth is, as man or woman or black, white or brown or whatever, if somebody wants me to act a little bit differently towards them so they feel a little bit uh, safer, a little bit more uh, welcomed or just good about themselves, why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't we do that? You know, no one's asking us to change ourselves completely. So some actions that uh, we exhibit that make people uncomfortable, easy to change. Anyway, we talk all about that stuff. doesn't get too controversial. Let's face it, climbing isn't that controversial, even the stuff we argue about in the end. However, it is enlightening, and we can be better, and Shelma knows the way. So on each episode, I try to say something ridiculous to keep you listening to and considering the commercials on the EnormaCast. For example, I might blithely mention that Hazel Finlay once brewed a cup of tea in her Black Diamond Mojo chalk bag using only herbs that she foraged from RP seams while on lead during the first female ascent of Once Upon a Time in the Southwest. But of course, these are flat-out fabrications, fake news if you will. But what's not a lie is that Black Diamond simply makes and sells great gear to keep you safe, warm, and dry, and feeling as slick as Bootsy Collins' middle finger on your next adventure. You need good gear, and the climbers at Black Diamond make good gear, and they have supported the EnormaCast since nearly its inception. So please consider that next time you're about to throw down hard cash for that next prized piece of gear. Black Diamond is a proud supporter of the EnormaCast. Chris kind of mentioned to me, what's the word I'm looking for? You're kind of a little ambivalent about maybe being posted up as some sort of great spokesperson for for women's issues and feminism or um, mm, whatever. No, no, no I just meant to say, like, I'm, like, reluctant to be, like, called an expert. Like, that's okay. what it's about. Okay. Like, I think there's a lot of pressure with that. A lot of pressure to be an expert in... in yeah, to be, like, the expert about women and climbing. Like, okay. I mean, that's kind of saying a lot, right? Right. <laughs> Wouldn't you... Uh, I mean, isn't it something you might expect, though, because of, yeah. you know, what, what you're putting out in the world? And I guess my hesitation is the expectation that I have all these answers mm-hmm. or these solutions. And I think what I'm trying to do with the work through Flash Fox and the Women's Climbing Festival is to say that we're creating spaces for some of these possible solutions or answers to be created mm-hmm. uh, collectively and that I don't have all the answers. All I'm saying is that there are obviously problems mm-hmm. and issues, so maybe let's all work together to figure it out. Yeah, so we'll get into those issues yeah. as you as you perceive them and what the important ones are. But before we do that... You, you just mentioned Flask Foxy. That's one of the reasons you're sitting in front of me. Uh, it is what caught my eye and when, when I uh, met you or someone said you were here, I was like, oh, that's, that's that woman. And 
So I wanted to talk to you about that. So cool. what was the impetus for creating that? It's, uh, what is it? It's about three years old or a little over? Yeah, it's about three years old. And tell us what it is, too. Um, so I guess it's kind of evolved from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It started off purely just as an Instagram um, to post pictures of me and my girlfriends climbing. I had met four or five really badass, strong women in cli- like climbers in New York City uh, who were psyched to get out and climb hard and climb together. And so, you know, I've done a lot of different sports growing up. I swam competitively. I played water polo. I, s- I grew up in Southern California surfing and snowboarding and downhill mountain biking. And it might be climbing. It might be being in a different part of my life. It might be the circumstance. But having met these women, it really changed my relationship with with rock climbing and with being in the outdoors it created a deeper more rich experience for me in a lot of ways and so you know and at that point like three years ago is kind of when Instagram was just kind of starting so it definitely wasn't anything in the way that it is now or the way that it's used and mechanized and so I just started posting pictures of us going on trips or climbing and sharing some stories And then it kind of, we just started getting more and more followers. I started getting messages from women who just expressed a desire to have their own girl crew of women to climb with, that they uh, felt that it was hard to meet women, that there weren't that many women where they were climbing, that they were climbing mostly with their boyfriend, or they were climbing with friends who were at a much higher level than them and found it hard to, uh, or they felt a pressure to, you know, if they were climbing with a bunch of people who climb a lot harder, they would feel bad making them go to like easier areas and they wish they had more friends at the same level as them, that they right. could grow together uh-huh. and push each other together at this like more uh, beginner level. Um, women who were climbing at the gym and wanted to get outdoors but weren't quite sure how to access that or to begin to do that. And so Flashboxy really changed when I decided to do the Women's Climbing Festival and that was um, two summers ago. I kind of looked around and there wasn't really anything happening like that. I think it's really cool because right now there's all these women's events happening all over the country and kind of even internationally. But two years ago, there really wasn't anything that was women specific in climbing or even in a lot of outdoor activities. And so um, I had one friend in the climbing industry, Colette McInerney, and I hit her up and I said, hey, I want to get some women together in the desert. What should I do? And then I made an announcement and I thought really it would be like 30 or 40 women hanging out in the desert. And when we created a Facebook invite, it said almost 300 people wanted to come. Uh-huh. And that was kind of You're a moment. Like, <laughs> that was kind of a moment of realization. <laughs> yeah, like, Absolutely. That like, sounds kind of logistical. Whoa, like difficult. this is like a thing now. It's, <laughs> right. you know, to plan something for a couple hundred people is a completely different animal than right. planning something for 30, 30 people. And at that time, I was working full-time at a community-based development nonprofit in New York. And so, you know, and when we did the festival, we got a lot of really good press about it. And, you know, I think most of the women had a really positive experience. And that kind of, like, launched us into this to become more visible. And I think now we are kind of like a platform for women to come together, to learn from each other. And to kind of create a grassroots movement around women, around women and climbing. You know, you, you start this thing as this little Instagram for yourself, for your friends. At any point where you sort of, like you just said, okay, 30, I thought 30, I got 300. And, and my joke was like, whoops. You know, was there a point at which like that kind of made you nervous or start to feel the weight of something that you didn't actually necessarily want and in in terms of responsibility and in terms of pressure on your free time and things like that like do you know what I mean like it sounds like maybe it just happened really quickly yeah whatever the feeling no absolutely how am I who and you know even just sitting here like how am I this person all of a sudden that's the question I asked you to begin with um absolutely I think um right when that happened I you know right now we're sitting at the International Climbers Festival Mm -hmm. which is the oldest running climbing festival and this is the first climbing festival I've been to that isn't one that 
I made. Okay. So okay. when I was starting the women's climbing festival, I had never even been to a climbing festival. So here I am, you know, I don't really know the climbing community at a more national level at that mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. My climbing community is very local in New York City. The people that I climb with at the gym, the people I climb with at the gunks. And now I'm creating this kind of larger scale event. And yeah, I mean, I was working full time. It was obviously going to be a big endeavor. I'd never put on a festival before. I'd never attended a climbing festival before. So there are definitely moments of of feeling a little overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are a lot of little details that you don't think about when you're like, I'm just going to get some women together. And then suddenly you're thinking about insurance and permits and all these yeah. things that like sure. are the uh, very unsexy right. side of event planning. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's why I jumped to like, where are we going to go? To the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, these like, are like the not mm-hmm. fun, exciting parts about planning right. an event. Right. Right. Pulled off two or yeah. three now Two. We've done two. Okay. So this year, uh, in March was our second event and, um, we had about 300 women we sold out. So the out. first one didn't sour you on the idea. You went and did it again. Yeah, well, <laughs> after the first event, everyone oh. kept, immediately after the first event, everyone kept asking me if I was going to do another one. I was like, don't ask me right now. Right. I'm really Leave tired. <laughs> um, but then I thought about it a little bit over the next months, and I think there is this really special energy at these festivals. And I don't know if we can any of us can really pinpoint exactly what it is, but we all feel it when we're there. And it's almost like, it's almost like we're drunk with the excitement of being together. Like there's this kind of giddy energy that like emanates through the entire space of, and I think that I put on a really good festival, but I think it really has to do with the fact that the women who come are what make it so special. They come very open they come really excited and psyched and open to try new experiences and share um, stories about themselves and listen to other women and meet other women and try new things and be there together. And I think that's what makes the Women's Climbing Festival so amazing. You had an idea of why you wanted to do this event and, and which we'll get into again, we'll talk about issues. But what were your surprises when you finished the first one and even the second one in terms of did you meet your goals did you you know go beyond them did you fall short anywhere when I realized how big it was going to be that was obviously one of the first surprises I think the support from women has been really amazing when I announced the first women's climbing festival, I had so many women reaching out to me saying, Oh, I have a contact at this brand or at this magazine or this. And like, let me know if there's any way that I can help. I'm a guide. I'd love to come and like help in any way that I can. I'm an artist. I'm a photographer. All these women just who don't even know me messaging me, wanting to support, wanting to provide any resources that they can in order to like help this festival succeed. Mm -hmm. I think that was really wonderful. I think, um, the support of the climbing industry, we had a lot of large brands come in as sponsors our first year and they're kind of, it's kind of a gamble for them. This is a festival that's never happened. I'm a person they've never heard of probably. And I'm reaching out saying, Hey, like I have this idea and I think this is what it's going to look like. I hope it's going to look like this, but I can't guarantee anything because it's never happened before. But I'd really love for you to be involved. And then taking that kind of risk um, and trusting that I was going to put something on that was good, I think is really amazing. I don't think that always happens. Right. And I, so I acknowledge that and I'm really grateful for the support that I've had from the climbing industry. Um, the huge demand this year for our second festival, our tickets sold out in one minute. Like literally one minute. I was in Spain at the time. I kept getting all these emails from women. I think the website's down. I was filling up the information. I got kicked off. Like, is the website down? Is the website down? I'm in Spain, which has terrible internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what's happening. And we had 800, over 800 women on the wait list. So I think it just kind of clearly expresses a huge desire from the women's community and climbing to have a space to come together and have these conversations and have these experiences. 
And I think that's that was pretty surprising. I knew there were women out there, but this is beyond what I'm doing. There's this overall huge desire in the community mm-hmm. to have spaces like that, whether mm-hmm. it's with me and the Women's Climbing Festival or some other iteration. I mean, aside from sort of the obvious, like, internet shitheads, what, was there any, any sort of, I, want, I don't want to even say pushback because I don't want to get into what happens when, when women's issues and come up, but was there any sort of, like, attempt or pushback to say, like, this exclusively women event, if it gets to a certain size, is there a way to, like, have it be, you know, quote-unquote co-ed and still women-oriented? Do you ever see that as a possibility? Because I feel like if there was any, even industry sort of, like, ambivalence it might come from the fact that it it is an exclusivity thing and then that that's always going to kind of make some people feel like oh what could we do to to incorporate both genders and something like that i don't know if it's even possible because what you're talking about is that space and that energy and everything else and yeah because when i i think about that i'm like well gosh it sounds i would like to be somehow involved in it but my own my, my involvement in a way like you know, throws water on the fire. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm sort of jealous because I'm like, wow, it does sound really great. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, of course, you get some idiots. It's like, well, what about a men-only festival? And I'm like, no, those that's all festivals, bro. <laughs> like, anyway, do you know what I'm getting yeah, at? Like, no, I again, abs- without walking into just jerks that are being jerks. No, um, I mean, I think there's definitely... I don't... I think you're right. I don't want to call it pushback. I think there's a desire from right. men who want to be um, supporters. Mm-hmm. How do we support? Right. How do, I guess that's really how do my we, question. you know, Thanks be part of it, right? That, yeah. And so, I mean, first of all, in terms of the festival, I feel like there are already co-ed festivals mm-hmm. kind of happening all over the yeah, country. They, oh, yeah, right. Like the one we're at right now, which is amazing. Right. Um, so I don't know if a, a festival, I would never, I would necessarily do one that was co-ed. And, um, I think there's a real importance to having a women's only space for mm-hmm. as kind of like an incubator space to experiment and have these discussions free from kind of the social pressures of that women can feel being um, in mixed company. Like I said, that's the whole point of it. Yeah. So I don't yeah. think it's one or the other, but I mm-hmm. think it's it's that like both are needed for us to move forward. I've kind of started with these women only spaces, but I've been thinking a lot also about what are some additional things that could be happening that bring together men and women to discuss feminism or sexism and racism and discrimination or just, you know, the diversity that the climbing community is experiencing and burgeoning in Mm -hmm. and how do we become cognizant of social issues and how they affect our climbing environments. Mm -hmm. I think that that would be something really interesting that could happen in addition to the women's only spaces that we're creating and that that would and those would be working together to move forward so when we keep talking about women's issues and and the issues that you identified which made you decide to well it sounds like you didn't quite decide it made you accept the mantle of of doing all these sorts of things um since they seem to have kind of crept up on you through just through popularity of what you were, the little things you were doing in the beginning. What do you think those issues are, the primary ones, the things that you really identified that you think that this this festival and and what you do on the website is moving forward? I think that a lot of the issues are that the things that women might be experiencing in the climbing space Mm -hmm. are just microcosms of what women are experiencing every day. And most of or a lot of the spaces that we are in like it's a microcosm of society's issues and the sexism that exists so i think um some of the some of the things are like mansplaining uh which can also be seen as like excessive beta spraying specifically towards women usually by strangers like unsolicited advice from strangers who actually will continue even if you ask them really politely if they could not do that um so there's that i think there can be staring really 
direct staring at women's bodies in climbing areas or gyms. I think that, um, or assumptions about a woman's climbing ability or the woman's climbing ability compared to their partner, if it's a male. I've been walking down a trail with my climbing partner in a trad climbing area and somebody has come up totally ignored me and asked my climbing partner, oh, what are you going to get on? What are you going to put up? What are you climbing? All these things. When In that instance, I was actually the more experienced trad climber, mm -hmm. and I was bringing somebody up to show them how to climb. You know, I've actually been racked up at the base of a climb with cams hanging all over my harness and had somebody ask my climbing partner like what they were going to put up. You know, so things like this, and I know that sometimes the argument is that like, oh, this isn't just happen to women right <clears throat> but i think it's the pervasiveness of it it's like when it happens all the time it can it can become really frustrating right um when it's assumed that you climb at a lower level when it's assumed that you don't know the beta or that you want beta and it happens all the time and it just kind of begins to affect your experience i think it's similar to catcalling right right where if one guy shouts at you once in three years you're not really thinking much about it. You're like, that guy was a jerk. That guy was an asshole. Mm -hmm. What a douche. Whatever. But when it happens all the time and you start after thinking about what am I going to wear today? Is it going to elicit some sort of, you know, harassment? I have to wear headphones and pretend I'm listening to music so I can pretend that I didn't hear somebody so they don't get angry if you don't respond. When, you start when it starts to affect your daily life in that mm -hmm. way, mm -hmm. it becomes a problem, right? And so I think it's a pervasiveness of these subtle gestures that in of itself don't necessarily seem so big. But when you think about it happening all the time, it becomes a much larger issue and something that affects your life. Um, I think even within just beyond just climbing, there's, you know, like imposter syndrome for women who are in male dominated occupations. So, for example, female guides. Right. I think there's only 8% of AMGA guides. I don't know the number exactly, so don't fillet me if the number is wrong. No, I mean, there's not um, that many. So, yeah. You know, so, I mean, everybody knows so that. So yeah. there's not that many female mm -hmm. guides, mm -hmm. and a lot of female guides have <laughs> shared with me, you know, a negative experience with either their male colleagues or with male clients being assumed that they're not the guy, that they're some sort of assistant, um, having all their teachings questioned because they aren't trusted as an expert in what they're doing actually being asked like i would prefer a male guide or you know these things right then you start to question yourself when your ability is questioned by everybody around you all the time that's kind of where this imposter thing comes right where you're like maybe i don't oh, okay. maybe i'm not qualified maybe i'm not experienced enough that's what you start to question yourself because everybody else is questioning you all the time so I think like there are issues like that, right? Um, there's objectification of women in media, in all media, including climbing media. And what does that mean? I think there's representation of people of color, of women in media itself, right? Like, so there's all these different kind of things that I think are not only in climbing. And I think sometimes people will argue, oh, it's climbing is better than everywhere else. But I think we can set the bar a little bit higher than that. Sure, sure. We can say, yeah, climbing is better than this sport or a workplace environment or a bar. But should that be our measure of how well we're doing as a community mm -hmm. to make it comfortable for everybody who's part of our community? Like, I think that as climbers, we are a really special group and we do have a, a really wonderful community that supports people. And I think I think genuinely that if people recognize that there are part people in our community that feel uncomfortable that they would want to remedy that mm -hmm. they would want to fix that that they would want to do better because that's kind of what i imagine or that's what i not imagine that's what i think of our community right. as climbers and you said that you were a surfer or are um in snowboarding you were you were sort of in in uh music you were a dj correct no i uh, like uh co-hosted a radio show oh, okay Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> so you're in music, and you certainly saw these kind of issues. I mean, I can for sure saw them, in, especially in the other adventure sports that you did. What do you think it is about climbing, or maybe about the place you were in your life when this started, that made you take up the, the cause, as it were, now versus maybe in a different 
time or a different sport. Just personally, are you now like older, ready to ready to to be that person? Maybe you weren't ready before. Those kind of things. What what do you think made it happen this time? This is a pretty big conversation, so I'll try to sum it up as quickly as I can or as succinctly as I can. There are these stereotypes about women mm-hmm. and women's relationships with each other that were catty, that were competitive, and that were oversensitive, that we overreact. And because of that, I think these kinds of stereotypes about other women were reinforced into my mindset mm-hmm. as a woman growing up so that you felt like you always had to prove yourself to men and that all these other women were competition to you trying to prove yourself to men and to be accepted. And so I think my relationship with women because of that could be more negative at points in time growing up. When I was surfing, when I was snowboarding, I was a self-identified tomboy. And there, you know, everyone talks about the token girl. Like there was this feeling that there could only be within the group of cool guys or guys. They don't even have to be cool. They could be not cool. There could only be like one girl who was cool enough to hang with the boys that wasn't like other women, the way women are stereotyped. That Mm -hmm. wasn't too catty or too uh, like that wasn't too sensitive right and so you felt this competition with other women and what I didn't realize at that time is by saying I'm not like these other women I was reinforcing that women are actually that way which is not the case right Right. by saying oh I'm not like other women I'm better than that you're actually saying women are like that which isn't the case right and you're reinforcing those ideas And you're doing this kind of all, obviously, unknowingly. You're, like, 20 years old. You're just, like, trying to figure out yourself and your life. And from my early 20s to kind of where I am now, I'm 34 years old, I've met a lot of female mentors who've really shifted the way that I think about these things and the way I think about women and gender dynamics in our society. And so I'm in a better place because of that. Also, um, I live in New York City, and before... And I spent five years working in community-based work around, non- like, in nonprofit work. I have a master's in urban planning, so that's kind of my background. And kind of working in organizing in marginalized communities has also given me a lot of experience around organizing people, people who feel marginalized or neglected or discriminated against, and has given me more tools to have these conversations than I would have been able to when I was younger. You, you grew up in SoCal. I did. And then moved to, you live in Brooklyn or you live in New York somewhere? I do. I, I'm, you know, people from New York would punch me. I'm, I don't really <laughs> understand the boroughs and all that. But anyway, and I know it's important <laughs> when you're living there. But uh, do you think that, ur- like you just mentioned working for this prof- nonprofit, in other ways, do you think that urban setting made this something that was more obvious, more prevalent? Because I just feel like you land in a much, a very diverse community when you're in a, in a city and thinking of my own life and kind of the limited amount of people that I even interact with in a day because I was living in a small town and all that sort of thing. When you started talking about these things, these issues, these uh, things you see all around you every day, I just kind of started thinking like, yeah, my experience, I've seen them, but I, I'm probably not as maybe bombarded by them and therefore they're a little bit out of my mind Mm -hmm. Um, does that feel like something that maybe was an impetus just being in this urban setting or was it really similar for you your life in in southern california growing up i mean i think i've always been lucky to live in areas where it's pretty diverse and i think that is probably why i notice more quickly If I'm in an area that isn't diverse, if I'm in a surrounding where maybe I'm the only person of color in the Mm -hmm. entire room. Um, And so I think that that's definitely part of it. We create our ideas about what is wrong and what is right. It's easiest to base it on your own personal experiences, Mm -hmm. right? So when your experiences tend to be so different from what maybe I'm talking about, it can be hard to take that leap and take a moment to step outside of your own body and think about how someone else's experience in something that's been so positive for you and inspiring and empowering 
could be kind of negative for somebody. It almost feels like a personal shot because you're like, I've based my life on this experience that has been so empowering and so impactful and so powerful. And now you're saying it's flawed. Like that can feel really personal, right? And I think you just tend to be able to run into people with more varied experiences in a place like New York. You're going to meet people all the time who don't have the same experience as you, who have completely different circumstances than you and backgrounds. And that gives you the, I think, more exposure to allowing yourself to think beyond your own personal experience than you might otherwise. Right. And the the thing in my my own experience is that you know, I don't climb in a gym very much. We don't have a gym. We have a little gym, but it's, it's just you and your friends there, you know. And so this idea of what you're talking about, like, with strangers and interacting, and um, it, it just, again, it makes me think about how, like, when I think about these issues, I don't always, I'm actually one of those persons. I'm like, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, isn't it just people interacting sometimes? And where does the gender fall in? But I, while you're talking, again, I realize that, yeah, I don't, I think the gym is a place where a lot of those little micro things, those things happen and I don't really see it. Because at the cliff, unless it's just packed, I mean, there's just a spread out nature to what, how much you're even interacting with other people. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to talk to you because it, it's changing my perspective in that sense. Because I can picture it now. I can see, you know, in a cramped space, lots of different people in there every day that these things do build up on you. It's not just the one time or I do totally on the bigger picture, understand that model, that stereotype, that thing of the guy being the leader and the guy being the person who's the better climber, you know, these sort of assumptions that you're talking about coming around. Yeah. And I think something that kind of gets lost sometimes in the conversation is that we're all complicit in it. I'm not saying only men are complicit in these ways that we act around each other, these assumptions that are created about each other. I think we're all complicit in it because these are, gender is a, is a social construct and the way we think about gender and the way we act around gender is based on society and we're all part of society. We all grew up in the same or similar society. So when I talk about kind of even these misconceptions I had about women, I was part of that problem too. Mm-hmm. And I am, con- you know, I'm continuing to try to think about what what assumptions am I, am I making about women or men and how do I break those down in my personal life? And I think that it's something that we're all working towards. We're talking about women's issues. Are there issues that men face because of the way our society thinks about things? Absolutely. I think, you know, there's a lot of conversations around young boys and the kind of negative effect it can have that, you know, they're expected to not show emotion and man up and, you know, like be tough you know, I'm sure that has a negative impact on a lot of men, right. you know, when they grow up to have had that kind of hard expectation of being masculine enough, right? Mm-hmm. That you, you, you have to be a man, you know, like I'm a, you have to be a man's man or whatever. I don't know. That's not my experience, but I've heard that from several other people that are men. I think there are these social constructs that are, are negative towards men and women and anybody mm-hmm. else who's, you know, gender neutral and, this is all part of this larger conversation. But like, as I said that the male experience isn't mine, it'd be really awesome if there was a guy who is out there talking about these kind of negative experiences that they're feeling, these social pressures, and mm-hmm. trying to change that too. That would be rad. That's kind of the same thing with the men's festival quip that you gave. Yeah. I've had men be like, oh, when's the men's festival? And I'm kind of like, hey, if you it. feel like some need <laughs> to create a men's right. only festival because you need that space to have these discussions about something that needs to happen like that mm-hmm. because there are these problems that you're experiencing, you should go do it. But I'm not going to put that on. Right. Yeah. I don't really feel like I'm qualified right. 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 or beholden to be do that. You wouldn't be able to go yeah, you to know. festival that you made. So... I think that there is this larger conversation, but because people hear me only talk about the women's issues, Mm -hmm. they feel excluded maybe out of the conversation or um, it's hard for them to relate. Mm -hmm. So now in your personal life, you know, as we've just spent quite a bit of time and you said you're not an expert in the beginning, but you obviously, you know, have some expert opinions. (laughs) And you have experience now. I mean, you've been doing this for a few years and, and you've been a woman your whole life. So you have these experiences. 
What about like a balance in your own life where you're going you're gonna to walk away from this very serious conversation that we're having and go out and have fun climbing? Because a lot of times I think not just men, but other women think that sometimes these women like you that for whom these issues are in, in the forefront are constantly out there on alert and, and, and ready to, to sort of attack or, or take people down or, or when everybody's just interacting in a, in a natural way. Um, I mean, how do you feel about that? Are you, are you able to find this balance where you're, you know, or, or do you get people who know who you are and, and know what you do interacting with you, like maybe in a, a standoffish way? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying like anybody who's, you know, vocal about if it was political or if it was yeah. know, that sort of thing. It, do you kind of know what I'm getting at or not? Yeah, I mean, no, not I mean, I don't spend, I don't spend my time at the crack seeking people to have arguments with. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, and I will say that most of the people who very vocally disagree with what I'm doing has only ever spoken to me through the internet. Via the internet. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> No, yeah, nobody has ever come up to me and been like, hey, I really disagree with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Can we have a conversation about it? I would love it if somebody did come up and say that to me because I think these conversations are really complex and nuanced and really challenging to have on the Internet because it should be a discussion. It should be something that's evolving. We should be sharing each other's, like sharing our thoughts with each other, which is then informing us like what we're doing right now you know talking with you is informing me what you're hearing from me is informing you but on the internet everything feels really definitive Mm -hmm. once you write it down on a comment you feel you know there's this almost idea like that person said this thing this now defines that person even instead of it being like hey i'm having this conversation and this is where i'm starting but maybe I'll change my mind. Like you and I could start talking. I could say something and you could be like, well, I don't think that. And you would give me a really good explanation. And I might be like, oh, right. I think you're right. I take that back. Uh-huh. And that happens really naturally right, right, right. in a conversation and you don't even think anything of it. But then when you do that on the internet, mm-hmm. people think, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You said this one thing. Now you're saying this other thing. Like, we have no confidence in what you're saying, which is so weird, right? That we all have these assumptions about how internet conversations work. But no, I mean, when I'm out, I started this because I love climbing and climbing is this amazing part of my life. The movement of climbing, the connection that you have with the outdoors, the challenges it brings on a personal level, the kind of um, partnerships and support systems that you can have, the kind of trust you have to have with people. You don't, usually have to trust people in that same sort of way. I have friends that in my, you know, in my life that are not climbers, but have we ever had to trust each other in the same way that I might have to with a friend who's a climbing partner that I'm on a multi-pitch alpine trad route with? We've never had to put that kind of trust in each other before. And those kinds of relationships are so powerful and beautiful. And climbing is amazing. And that's why I want to start this here. I think these conversations, like these issues they aren't only in climbing and they might be more explicit and apparent in other places, mm-hmm. but this is my community. This is my place. This is where I, you know, where I feel at home. And so if you're going to make change, you start in the places that, you know, you start in your community because I have high, expe- I, I have high expectations for a community. I think we're good people and people genuinely want to do better. And I want us to do that too. We'll go back to the festival because that seems to be a sort of this, um, I don't know, linchpin of this whole thing. What would someone expect going to that? What, what are we talking about here? Because it's about to get bigger again, I'm sure. So we're expanding. We have a second location in Chattanooga this November. I'm okay. really, really excited. Well, the festival is a lot of different things. First of all, it's for anybody at any level. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we have women who've never climbed outside. We had a woman who's, ne- who's never climbed outside come by herself, which I think is so brave. Right. To come to a festival where you know no one to do something you've never tried before. Like, I don't know if I would be that brave to right. be that way. So we have women who've never climbed outside before, all the way to women who are veterans who've been climbing for 15, 20, 
30 years. We have a huge range in age. We have this young girl, Ginger, who's seven or eight. She's come to both festivals. And we have women in their 50s who are also coming to the festival. So it's really intergenerational, which is really beautiful. But I think what you're going to get when you come to the festival is you're going to meet women and be able to share your experiences. And you're going to be able to have discussions about things that you might not be able to have in other spaces. We do a panel uh, with um, different women this year. For example, you know, we had Flannery Shinimaro, who's like a female setter. There's not a lot of women who are setting. We had Kate Rutherford, who does a lot of uh, Alpine first, you know, female ascents, which is also very rare. We had, um, you know, a woman named Bethany Lebowitz, who runs Brown Girls Climb, which is talking about promoting more diversity within climbing and celebrating that. So we create a space where women can ask basically whatever they want. Right. And they don't have to feel a fear of judgment about from somebody else who might not be able to relate to what they're experiencing. Also, you're going to gain confidence because all our clinics are taught by female guides and female athletes. So every one of our clinics and workshops are, are taught by a female guide, female athlete, or a female facilitator, which kind of reinforces that women can be the experts, mm -hmm. that we can be the decision makers. I had amazing male mentors, but I found myself earlier in my, in my climbing to be deferring to my male partners in decisions when we're out climbing mm -hmm. and then realizing like, why am I doing that? I'm actually the more experienced person in this dynamic. Right. And then when you're kind of out with two women, you kind of can't, if you're scared, you can't kind of give the cop out of like, Oh, do you want to take this? You're like, well, here we are. We just kind of have to figure it out. Like, because, right. and because you've been questioned about your ability to then be in an experience where, Oh yeah. I do know this. Mm -hmm. I am qualified. I do have the skills to be able to do it. It's like a big confidence boost, right? So I think that that's really important. Um, and then you also learn about like stewardship and uh, the importance of being a responsible climber. We work with the Access Fund to do a stewardship day in Bishop. And we also raise, this year we raised $2,000 for the Access Fund. And the Access Fund is generously earmarks that money for projects in Bishop. So kind of the money that we raise is going directly back into the places that we're impacting, which mm -hmm. I think is really important to think about. And for a lot of new women climbers or a lot of new climbers to be able to realize we're here making an impact and then we're going to turn around and fix trails or clean trash and offset, the, and offset, offset the what impact, we're, the impact right. that we're making. I think that that's a really strong message that we're also trying to send. Is this a job for you now, full-time? Climbing-related stuff is my full-time job now so i do run these festivals and then i also like freelance write for a, a couple outdoor publications and then the biggest most exciting thing that's happened is that um i recently earlier this year started this uh new production company called never not collective with three other women of the outdoors it's me colette mcinerney who's a longtime climber and videographer julie ellison who was the former editor-in-chief of climbing magazine and Leslie Hitmeyer, who worked for Teton Gravity Research, the four of us came together to create this new production company to tell really great stories of the outdoors. And it's not just stories about women, it's stories about anybody, but kind of like some of these other areas like guiding or setting that we've talked about, media creation tends to be male-dominated. Mm -hmm. Most directors and filmmakers tend to be men, um, not just in the climbing, but Overall, I think the New York Times did an article where they said only 1% of Hollywood directors are female. And so I think what we're saying is that it's not that we're going to make better stories, but they're probably going to maybe be a little bit different than what you're seeing. Because our perspective as four women, might, we might notice something different. We might want to tell a different story. Something might be more important to us. So the, maybe the story that you're going to get is just going to be different, not better, but a unique perspective, perhaps, mm -hmm. right? And the second hope is that I think women want to get into media and they feel like maybe they're not sure how to get into it and cross their fingers, hopefully we become successful enough that we have more work than the four of us can handle, you know, to provide a space where women can come to learn and experience and gain more knowledge around media making, which would be really cool kind of almost creative space that can provide mentorship to newer uh, to newer folks who are interested in production. Where can people find that? Um, they can find us at nevernotcollective.com. We have a couple, two, we have two shorts mm -hmm. that are out there. 
And um, we are starting a Kickstarter in August for a new big project that we're hoping to launch. So okay. you'll be hearing more about that. In our town, um, Asia Weinhold has done, done the No Man's Land Film Festival. And actually, just recently, uh, the episode that's out right now, there's a discussion about the lack of, of women in production, even in the outdoor category of, of filmmaking. And kind of like theorizing again why that is and, and you know, the fact that it's this sort of self-perpetuating system, you know, where a lot of times the men are the gatekeepers at this point and then, right, kicking down that door. But, but what I was going to say is that, is that the interesting thing is what you guys are trying to do is exactly what Aisha said. She says there's just, we need examples. We need leaders to do it. And it'll, then, that, then that gatekeeping, you know, starts to fall apart. I think the gatekeeping is not always conscious either. Mm-hmm. It's like when we think about who we want to mentor or who we want to teach, we're not surprisingly drawn to the people who are like us, where mm-hmm. we can see ourselves in them, where we're like, oh, I understand where you are because I was there before. You, I, you remind me a lot of myself when I was that age or when I was at that level I think is a way that connections are often made in, ter- in terms of like mentorship dynamics, right? There, mm-hmm. For there to be a connection, for the mentor to want to invest the time to teach somebody and to show them and give them experiences. It makes sense sometimes if you're not consciously thinking about it, right. that you're going to gravitate towards people who are more like you because you relate to them more. They're easier for you to understand, mm-hmm. right? So it can even be something where we are more cognizant of that, right? And think like, hey, this person actually is nothing like me. We've had totally different experiences, but that's kind of cool. Maybe that's the person I want to take and invest my time into and show them. Because what will be really interesting is I have no idea how they're going to end up or what they're going to create because their background is really different than where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting and really cool. But I think that it's not intuitive. It's, and I think a lot of these things that I'm talking about, these issues... I by no means think people are doing these things intentionally. I think they're very unintentional. A lot of men or women or anybody, like, you know, we think we know what racism looks like. We know what sexism looks like. I know, you know, I know what sexism looks like. I'm not slapping women on the ass. Mm -hmm. I'm not grabbing women. I'm not calling them babe. You know, I don't want to be sexist. And now you're telling me that what I'm doing is sexist, like, it can feel very much like a personal attack. Right. I think that's the that's really the basis of the then the pushback again. Absolutely. Right. right? So, I mean, I can understand where that is coming from. And I think kind of what I'm trying to say is I'm not saying that you're being like that intentionally. I'm saying that we all act in certain ways because this has been ingrained in us. Mm -hmm. And like, let's break that down. And it's by no fault of your own that you're that way. But Maybe we can acknowledge that it's not that cool. Uh-huh, right. And try to change it. Right, right. Like, hey, like, if you're telling me that somebody doesn't have the same opportunities or the same, like, um, interactions or the same pay or all these things, just, like, that seems unfair. Yeah, like, let's kind of break that down. Right, and do something about do it. Do something about it. <laughs> Would be the I think there's like, this feeling that we're right. pointing fingers. Right. And what I'm really trying to say is... Whether it's your fault, whether it's not your fault, there's this shitty dynamic that exists, and let's change it. I just want to ask a question about you as a climber. Sometimes I like to ask, like, what kind of climber are you? But more interesting to me at this point, what do you think it's like to go climbing with you? What kind, what, what, what's important to you that your partner feels when they're done, done, done a pitch with you or done a big climb with you? Well, I think the biggest thing is that I hope that they felt safe. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, and... That they feel psyched, like they feel that it was a true partnership, Mm -hmm. that there wasn't some sort of like dominating uh, dynamic in any way, that it was a true partnership of two like-minded folks who are psyched to be out there and sharing this experience together. How much climbing do you do with dudes versus women in in, just in real life? I mean, just because logistics mean you climb with whoever you can get your hands on sometimes. Yeah, I'm really lucky where I climb mostly with women. And a part of it is that because of Flash Foxy, I probably know more women climbers Mm -hmm. than most. Right. Um, And I have access to more women climbers than most. There's all sorts of women listeners right now that are just like, 
<laughs> like so jealous of you because that's an issue all the time. Absolutely. Especially as w when you said about women wanting to climb with a partner who was at the same level, you were kind of referencing more beginner level, but the women who climb harder also want to find partners to, yeah. who can do these hard projects. And I, every woman friend climber I have says, yeah, a lot of times I've just, I, I strike out, I can't find it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what the festival is also a hope for. It was really cool this year. These two women came up to me this year uh, um, at the second festival and said, hey, we met last year at the first festival, and then we climbed together all year, and we came to the second festival sure. together. Right. And that's such a rad story. And I really hope that women come and meet each other and make plans. We also do like a, a, a forum, a women's forum on Facebook. It's mm -hmm. a group. You can find it through like our Facebook page. And it's kind of a place where women ask, the questions run the gamut. It can be like, I'm looking for a climbing partner in this place at this time. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for a sports bra that fits women's lats, like climbers, right. climbers lats, because every other one is like cutting off the circulation to my arms. Uh, do you have a recommendation for a climbing pant or like I experience this negative thing? Has anybody else experienced this mm -hmm. thing? Or like, oh, like this was so unpleasant. A place to kind of just even rant a little bit if you've had like a really negative experience. So, um, yeah, I hope more women can find each other because I think the experience with women is positive for everybody. Like, If there's more women climbing, I think everyone is going to benefit. It's just going to be a better experience for all climbers. Mm -hmm. And that's really exciting to kind of see the future happening because more and more women are climbing. And that's really, really exciting. Well, awesome. Thanks for sitting down. Thanks, Chris. I hope these uh, various small motors running in the background <laughs> haven't jacked it up too much but uh anyhow i think we probably got a a, a good sound so thanks cool. a lot for sitting yeah, down thanks i appreciate for having it me. I, I definitely sort of did the cold call just got in your face like hey will you come on my podcast which i don't always like to do but when i knew you were here i was i was really excited to to do something different and talk to somebody with a obviously vastly diff different perspective than than the folks i talk to most of the time so thanks yeah so no thanks for having me all right folks thanks for listening and thanks to uh, shelma jun for sitting down she's very nice to do that what a great great time talking to her i learned a lot speaking with her and i think i've maybe made some progress doing that interview also the sound of her voice is amazing like it was great to record something with so much depth to it uh i don't know i just like really enjoyed listening to it is that weird i'm an audio guy okay so follow what she's up to never not collective at nevernotcollective.com as well as flashfoxy.com you can find out about the women's climbing festival there there is one in chattanooga in November of this year, and there's also uh, another one in Bishop next March. So go check those out at flashfoxy.com if you're interested in that sort of thing. And I think that the Never Not Collective has a lot of potential to really create something new in the climbing world, or at least move it sort of to a different place. I joked that the Kickstarter got funded in 35 minutes. It wasn't quite that quick, but it was very quick, which I think shows that there's a hunger out there uh, for a little bit different media. Women are a bigger and bigger part of the sport, and I don't know if parts of the industry have caught up with that yet. And hopefully this Never Not Collective or these kind of organizations just foster a little more diversity in the media landscape out there. You know what? Grunting shirtless white dudes is getting a little old. It actually got old a long time ago. I don't know what we've been waiting for. Hold on while I put my shirt back on. And of course, instead of grunting, I just yell, Climb! Ooh, haven't done that in a while. All right, the heat is starting to finally let up here in Colorado. Are we in September? Does September even exist anymore? I think September is sort of a casualty of climate change at this point. However, it is getting a little cooler, and everyone knows fall is the climbing season of choice. So get out there, have some fun, but keep on it. Watch yourselves out there, folks. And of course, check your knot.
make you uncomfortable, Mr. Lebowski. Uh, is that what this is a picture of? In a sense, yes. My art has been commended as being strongly vaginal, which bothers some men. The word itself makes some men uncomfortable. Vagina. Oh, yeah? Yes, they don't like hearing it and find it difficult to say, whereas without batting an eye, a man will refer to his dick, or his rod, or his... Johnson. Johnson? Johnson?